founding father, Thomas Jefferson, once said, no experiment can be more interesting than that we are now trying, and which we trust will end in establishing the fact that man may be governed by reason and truth. Our first objective should therefore be to leave open to him all the avenues of truth. The most effectual hitherto found is the freedom of the press. Listening to the currency. Welcome, I'm your host, I'm Mike Gaston, and this is episode 84. The date today is March 7th, 2021. I'm glad you've joined me today. Thank you. I want to talk about the free press. I want to talk about the press a little bit. We've got stories in the news. I don't know if you're aware of them. <laughs> Governor Cuomo fighting for his life. We've got Dr. Seuss canceled. We have so much going on right now. Uh, You you know, things that don't even show up in the press, like there's some crazy things. There was a coup attempt in North Korea. I think over a thousand soldiers tried to take over the government. They failed. There's so much going on in the world today. The news, the, the press, just critical. And yet at the same time, we find ourselves in this kind of murky, foggy, mind space. We struggle to know what is true. We struggle to know, is there veracity to the things that I'm hearing? Are my sources good? A couple podcast episodes ago, I tried to address, well, how do you know the truth? Where's the best news source? And my answer was that you actually have to go beyond the news. You have to read deeper. You have to get into things like sociology and economics and philosophy. You need to educate yourself from better sources so that when you're confronted with what you find in the news. You have, a, you have a toolbox, you have a lens, you have a worldview, a paradigm with which to understand the news and make sense of it and, and verify it or reject it as the case may often be. Now, Thomas Jefferson thought for certain that we had to have the free press for this experiment. And the experiment he was speaking of was America, the American society, this, this great republic that they had founded not a democracy, but a republic. (laughs) Now we've evolved over time. We've changed and countries do these things. It's not like uh, the founding fathers were omniscient and everything that they did said or thought was perfect in every way. This was not St. Paul, the apostle. This was not Jesus Christ himself walking the face of the earth. These were men, some of them Gnostics, deists, some of them atheists, agnostics, but they came together to form something special, an experiment really, to see can man govern himself? Can a society be founded on reason and truth? And can reason and truth be guide enough for men, meaning a society, to be healthy, to thrive, to succeed? They believed that that was the case, that if people were allowed to think, if they were allowed to know the truth and think for themselves and make decisions for themselves based on reason and truth, that this great experiment would be successful. It would prove that mankind can live without a monarchy, without a dictator, without an oligarchy, without any type of other government than man, a group of people coming together to build a society based on reason and truth. And Jefferson was so 
interested in this, in the answer to this, that he said, look, I think the most important way that people are going to get access to reason and truth is the freedom of the press. We have to keep the press free. Now, when we hear press, we think immediately of journalism. And we we're right for that. It's not wrong to think of journalism, but the press is more than that. You know, just having a printing press, you know that thing that Gutenberg had a hand in creating the idea of movable type in a printing press that could duplicate sheets of paper quickly, woodcuts, engravings, letters, words, paragraphs, allow them to start mass producing content, if you will. That was a press. We think of the press as the, the media, the, the news media. But back in the day, the press was just owning a printing press. And you couldn't just, in England, own a printing press. You couldn't just print whatever you wanted. The monarchy, the king, would tightly control that. And you could get in big trouble if you were printing something considered seditious, something critical, something outlandish or outrageous or, or you know, hostile to the throne, to the crown. And it wasn't just in England. Other countries did the same thing. They would tightly monitor the content that could be created. And this is why coffee houses were such a, a hotbed of sedition, because you would get these people together that would complain about taxes or the latest regulation or whatever it was, whatever abuse of power that the monarchy was guilty of at the moment. They would talk about these things and start kicking around ideas. What can we do? How can we change this? How can we limit the, the king's power? How can we free ourselves of this crown that demands so much and doesn't seem to give us anything back? And often these monarchs were corrupt. They may be the son of a great king. You may have had a great king, a fair king, or a wonderful queen. But their offspring, second, third generation, were often indolent, insolent layabouts. They wouldn't just suck off the teat of the people. There's a word picture for you. I have to mark this one explicit for the kids. <laughs> and the press was dangerous because if you think of these coffee houses, they didn't want people getting together. They didn't want them sharing ideas. They didn't want reason and truth. Now, this isn't every monarch. Not every monarch is evil. And not, you know, monarchy as a form of government isn't innately bad. But when you layer in the corruptibility of mankind and you look at this kind of dogma that they had that, you know, the king was there, he was like a God king, you know, he was, he was put there by God. He was God's, you know, vessel on earth to, to control, to lead, to own. <laughs> he was there to lord it over people. He was the Lord's representative. And so the king was kind of untouchable. If God put him there, well, then who am I to touch him? I can't, you know, go against the king. That's God's anointed. Touch not the Lord's anointed. And that started to break down. But not every monarchy is evil. Not every monarchy is intrinsically bad. Human beings are intrinsically flawed. Human beings are intrinsically broken, intrinsically bad in some ways. Human beings are wonderful. They're beautiful, wonderful creations. And I've spoken before in other podcasts about how, you know, the Christian doctrine 
teaches that, you know, human beings are the bearers of God's image. And as such, they're amazing and an end unto themselves. They're not there to be someone else's means to an end. We're not to be used so that other people can get what they want. We're to be respected and valued. And that should also humble us. If I'm carrying God's image, that should be humbling. Wow, I'm special in this creation. I have a responsibility and obligation uh, to what's been given me. Now, of course, this same faith, Christianity, teaches that mankind has fallen, that he's broken, and is, and it has a proclivity towards uh, sin and evil and wrongdoing. And look around you. And we talk about some of the things. Look at Andrew Cuomo. Yeah, this guy... This guy, my gosh, so full of himself, so arrogant. And not just through COVID, by the way. You know, as a conservative, I've sat in the state of New York. I'm a, I'm a resident of the state of New York. I've been a resident for most of my life. I was born here. Now I've traveled around. I've lived in other places. I've lived in other countries. I've seen the world a little bit, uh, but I keep coming back like a bad penny. But, you know, this guy, he's been governor for quite a while. And I can think of other quite progressive laws that he's put through, you know, he's shoved some things down the state's throat and he's come out and said explicitly, Hey, if you're conservative, if you don't agree with what I'm doing here, well, we don't want you here in the state. You don't belong. Now, how full of yourself do you have to be to get up in front of your constituency and just pick a side and say, if you don't agree with me, you don't belong in the state. Now I can understand a guy saying, Hey, or a gal, I don't agree with you, half you guys. I'm doing this anyway. And if you don't like it, hey, tough. I get it. But but make your voice heard at the ballot box down the road. But I think this is what the state of New York needs. I think it's a good decision. And I think the majority of the state's with me. Uh, look, I want the rest of you to come on board. Uh, it's your right not to. But at the end of the day, I got to do what I think is right. No, that's not what Cuomo says. He does, he, you know, you don't like it. A punch in the face. I mean, that's that's he says stuff like just stupid ass stuff like that. And he's run this COVID situation like a little dictator. And quite frankly, he's done a cack-handed job of it. This guy, he's the worst. I mean, he thinks he's the best thing since sliced bread. He's responsible for thousands and thousands and thousands of deaths. He was the first guy to get on TV and say, oh my gosh, New York, we're getting hit the hardest. We need all your help. You know, as soon as we kind of come out of it a little bit, uh, and somebody else is struggling and the country starts mocking them while they're getting what they deserve. You know, they're not doing it right. He's up there getting Emmy awards. He's, he's written a book. I mean, this thing's not even over. We're still all locked down. We're wearing masks like a bunch of stupid slaves. We can't even like, it's ridiculous. New York state is ridiculous right now. Still. And this guy's written a book, how he's so, what a great leader. Well, he's in trouble now in the news, the press covering Cuomo. And scandal after scandal after scandal. But the monarchies wanted to control the press. And when they talk about the press, again, it's not just the news media, but the press has come now to represent the news media. We talk about the press, the freedom of the press. We think of the freedom of the journalistic outlets, the news outlets. It used to mean newspapers. Now it can mean radio, television, broadcast, internet, where, you know, whatever you're looking at, newspapers, magazines, the press has the freedom to print what they see fit. That's enshrined in the American Constitution, uh, First Amendment, and uh, I believe that's the First Amendment. Golly, if I've got that wrong, please forgive me. 
I'll have to hang up my microphone, kids. So, you know, what, what, if we look at that and we look at where we are today, why are we in such a fog? Why do we struggle to know what's true? If Jefferson and the other founding fathers thought that reason and truth were critical to our success and to protect our ability to get reason and truth, to get information so that we could think and make decisions, uh, that we've got to protect the press. Why are we sitting here in such confusion? What's happened? You know, well, you know, the liberals, they took over the news media. Well, yeah, that's, that's true. I mean, to a great degree, but like, it's not just the liberals. I mean, it doesn't matter what side of the fence you're on. You know, I check out Fox News. I check out uh, CNN and MSNBC. I watch these different groups. I can, you know, I go on a YouTube, consume some of their content. I'm not sitting in front of the television, but I'm checking these guys out. I'm reading them. I read, I used to read the economist religiously. I, I canceled my subscription. I got so frustrated with their BS. <laughs> uh, I have been a subscriber on and off to the wall street journal. Again, you think, well, that's uh, finance. That's probably very conservative, not very conservative actually. It's a relatively liberal paper. And I, I mean, classically liberal, but a little bit of progressivism in there as well. It's about investing and making money. It's not about conservative values necessarily. But even these kind of, you know, big names like the Wall Street Journal or The Economist, these kind of weighty names that you would say, well, these <laughs> honorable mastheads here, uh, you know, you get a lot of propaganda from these guys and you don't always know that you're getting the full story. What's happened over the last couple of hundred years to, to get us to this place where we don't feel that we can trust the media? What has happened? Is it just a general cynicism? Is it just that we don't trust anyone where our heroes don't wear white hats anymore? We're in this postmodernist kind of relativism where there is no real good guy. There is no real truth. It's just my truth versus your truth. And every good guy is actually a bad guy but just in the right situation to be a good guy. I mean, it just, is it just that we've become cynical? I don't think so. I think there's something else. I think there are two dynamics at play here and I want to talk about them just for a couple minutes. I don't think this is going to be a long episode, but I just want to put a couple things on the table to help you and I get a better grasp as to how we've gone from this concept of defending the free press so that you and I can embrace and, and have access to reason and truth so that this great experiment, this republic that was started could thrive and prove to the world that man can govern himself, that he can govern by reason and truth. And I don't feel like I need to really hammer this home. I don't feel like I need to build a case, but just if you're wondering, like, look around you. How much reason and truth do you see in our society today? You know, a few episodes back, we talked about the Time Magazine article. This, this exuberant crowing, this bragging, this thumping of the chest of how this secret cabal got together and finagled technology and money data scientists and activists and community organizers on such a sophisticated level that they were able to ensure that Joe Biden won the election and Donald Trump and his quote unquote henchmen 
lost. How do we get to a place in a society where a, where a you know, long-term, well-known and respected through the ages, not that time's any fantastic uh, news organ these days, but, but has been respected, can put a piece out like that that is so proud of what was done to essentially push an election, to take it out of the hands of the people, not to let the chips fall where they may, not to let the people make a decision, but to really push it to ensure that a, that a, a legal, legitimate candidate did not win. Is that the freedom of the press to help us embrace reason and truth? How did we get there? Do you see reason and truth around you? Do you see it? Do you hear it? Do you read it? Do you, do you embrace it? Do you see it around you? I don't see it. I don't hide the fact that I'm conservative. So sometimes I might watch like uh, some type of Fox commentary, but that's for entertainment. I'm not watching it to get informed. I'm watching it to, to hear them, to watch them, you know, break down a, a situation that happened the day because sometimes they have a humorous take on it. I kind of know what they're going to say ahead of time. I'm not coming in going, I really want to learn about this. I would say the same uh, for the left. Uh, I, I hope that they understand they're being entertained when they watch uh, Stephen Colbert or John Oliver, some of these other, you know, putzes. <laughs> You know, I, I would say the same, you know, you, you listen to Chris Cuomo. Chris Cuomo's not doing hard-hitting journalism. He's a commentator. Don Lemon, the same thing. They're going to give you a little bit of their outrage. I'm outraged about this. And the, did you hear what the right did today? And, oh, it's terrible. They're not giving you news. They're entertaining you. They're getting your emotions going. But this is what passes for news today. I mean, so many people get their, get their news from The Daily Show. What's that South African kid? I should know. I can see his face in my mind. Having lived in South Africa, <laughs> I should know the kid's name. Anyway, uh, how do we get there? How do we get to a place where reason and truth are so difficult to come by? Is it just postmodernism? I've said no. I think there are two dynamics at play here. Now, one is kind of a general dynamic and one is a, is a date and time. And I want to share the, the general dynamic first. And that is that, and I've talked about this before, you know, this idea of the pseudo event, Daniel Borston, and I'm not going to unpack this too much, but Daniel Borston wrote a book called The Image. It was published in the early 1960s. I want to say 61, maybe 62. And he makes this argument that, you know, news shifted initially back in the early, you know, 1700s in America, you know, before and at our founding News was really just a recording of, of spontaneous events that happened. A volcano went off somewhere in the Pacific. Uh, you know, there's some fishermen caught a whale at the shore. Um, you know, maybe, maybe there was a ship lost at sea that was supposed to be bringing supplies to the colony. Uh, maybe the king was sending more troops. I say spontaneous. They weren't all natural events, but these were just spontaneous events. They were just things that were happening that they were re reporting and the, and the kind of theological worldview was that they were letting you know kind of what God and Satan were up to in the world. 
you, you might read the newspaper and I know not everybody was a, a Christian back in the day. Don't, I'm not trying to put a Christian patina on this, but there was a pervading worldview that, that God was this king on the throne and that he was ordering the events of man. And so you might read the paper to understand what is God up to in the world and also what is the enemy up to in the world. So you might look at things like famines and plagues and wars and storms and natural disasters and troop movements and supplies and the waxing and waning of the great uh, multinational companies like the Dutch East India Company. You're looking in the newspaper that came out once a month probably a broadside printed front and back to understand what was going on in the world around you. There was no commentary and so on. Now that you could get those, you could get, you know, these little seditious documents that were printed that might pillory the governor or the king, make fun of the archbishop of the diocese for their immorality, their, their hypocrisy, their wickedness. But the news didn't cover that. The news covered these spontaneous events. Well, something changed and we started to create uh, these pseudo events, these events that are manufactured. An example of that would be a press briefing. It's, it's an event. It's a manufactured event. This isn't a, a this is an event that just happened. The king sent more troops. Now we're going to have a press briefing and we're going to call together all the, you know, the journalists and a dignitary is going to get up and he's going to make it an announcement. And then that pseudo event will spin off other pseudo events. So the report on that, then there'll be commentary on what we think about what he said. Let's break it down. And there'll be other pundits writing essays about the impact of these upcoming regulations or changes and these pseudo events would like generate news for us. Now, sometimes they're informative, but sometimes they're just trying to fill our voracious appetite for information. News became a consumer product and we want more. And so to create more, they generate news stories. They might go down to Capitol Hill and start polling a bunch of senators Senator, do you think we're going to go to war with China? And, you know, you're going to get a bunch of no, no, no. All these, And one of them might say, look, I'm not in a position to answer that question. This person's not hinting at anything. But the journalist turns right around and writes a story about how when pressed, uh, one anonymous senator, you know, was, was cagey and refused to answer. And we think based on some, you know, like you start to manufacture a story. It's not, it's not a hundred percent untrue, but often they'll just keep pushing to get what they need so that they can run with a story that they're manufacturing. Now I'm not so cynical. I'm not saying like everything's fake. This isn't like, Oh, fake. I'm just saying that there was a change. And at some point in America, we wanted news as a consumer product rather than Rather than going to the news to understand what was going on in the world around us, we wanted to feel well-informed and we wanted news every day, all the time. And there just aren't enough spontaneous events in the world to keep us satisfied. And so someone figured out that we can create events. This would be advertising gimmicks. This would be things like, uh, the, like the Guinness Book of World Records. Growing up as a kid, I was like, the Guinness Book of World Records, Wow. Someone's got the world record for this. 
a world record's a pseudo event. And, and quite frankly, so, so Guinness, and this is all because of Guinness beer. I mean, genius, genius marketing back in the day, but these would create news events and it's all free advertising for Guinness. I say free, but you want to get in the world record book. And so some person's doing some zany, crazy thing and they make a media event out of it. They're about to hit their, you know, they've got to do this thing like 10,000 times. They're getting close. They're going to cover it as a person completes this arduous task. Uh, there's going to be, you know, a little bit of a speech. The Guinness people will be there. Now, this isn't such a big thing as it used to be, but growing up, like the Guinness Book of World Records was amazing. And I remember as a kid thinking like, oh, it'd be amazing to get in there. I wonder what, like, what could I do? to get into the Guinness Book of World Records. Why? I don't even know why that was interesting me to me, but that was just a thing. And uh, you get these pseudo events, these manufactured events. If you, look at the, if you look at the presidential debates, pseudo event, it's a pseudo event. I, I talked about this in the last podcast. I don't want to go too, on, too long with this, but just not the last one, but a couple of episodes ago. But if you look at, if you look at the debates, are we trying to find a leader who knows everything about everything and is able to give an answer on the spot, not knowing what the question is going to be. And the answer has got to like nail it in under two minutes or under 30 seconds, depending on the time frame. Is that the quality that we're looking for in a leader? Or do you think that the person elected is going to have a, a team, like a, a team of researchers and experts in every field that's going to advise that president on what's going on, the best plans of action, what could go wrong if we go this way, what could go wrong if we go that way, what are the risks, what are the opportunities? They're going to put everything in their digest form format so that the president can understand the situation and then with his, with his cabinet and his key team make a decision. So do we want somebody that can slay on the stage and own somebody? Oh, burn. Is that what we want for a president? Or do we want someone that can build a fantastic executive team that can execute on, an elev on a level that is better than our competitors? And do we want someone that's aligned in some ways with the way that we see the world and the vision that we have for our society? I would argue that's what we want, but yet we invest everything into the pseudo event of these debates. And of course, those debates, they're televised, they're exciting. It's a dramatic package. You talk about the next day. Did you see the debates? What'd you think? Oh, Trump, he won. Oh, I think Biden won. Did you notice Biden stuttered? Oh, did you notice Trump was all flushed in the face? He was angry the whole time. You get pundits. I mean, they spend hours after the debate breaking it down and this news program and that program. You get write-ups on television or sorry, write-ups on uh, in the newspaper. You get YouTube commentators, guys like me. I didn't, but guys like me jumping in saying, let me do a quick breakdown of what I noticed. It just, it just spawns all this content. So I think that's one dynamic. I'm going to talk about the next dynamic here in a second, but that's one dynamic that has had a huge impact on the quality of the information that we're given. When you're in a position to have to manufacture and want to manufacture news, you're creating, if you've got to provide 24-7 news, which these guys do, 
you're creating news events and you're trying to keep an eye on who's creating news events. And, and one of the things about Trump that, you know, love him or hate him, the guy was really good. He, he, I think he intuitively understood this, that the news people are starving uh, and they need, they need a circus. And, and he knew how to create a circus. And, you know, he was, and he wasn't like buddies with these people. It wasn't like, Hey, you're my buddy. Let me throw you a bone. No, he was like that naughty kid that was starving for attention and just used his naughtiness to get your attention all the time. You know, and this was not like, this is the kid that made you old faster than you should have been, made you gray. But they did it because they were hungry for your attention. Rather than just come up and say, can I have a hug? <laughs> no, they'd rather like break your fine china. And then when you scream at them, they're like, they're getting in the sick way, the attention that they are starved for. Maybe that's, maybe that's on you, you know, and maybe it's not the kid's fault. Maybe you're just a terrible parent. I don't know. But I think Trump was the, a master at manipulating because he understood what the media needed. They need 24 seven content and the pseudo event is the answer. Okay. Let's just put a pin in that. Now let's get to something that I think, uh, really made the difference. So you've got this broad dynamic of the pseudo event, but, but more importantly, you have something called the Hutchins Commission. That's its kind of popular name. Its real name was the Commission on Freedom of the Press. It was formed during World War II. Uh, Henry Luce, who was the publisher of both Time and Life magazine, I talked about Time just a minute ago, went to a guy named Robert Hutchins. Now, Hutchins was the president of the University of Chicago. And he said, hey, I want you to recruit a bunch of people and put together a commission because I want to like look into what should be the proper function of the media in a modern democracy. So you got Jefferson at the beginning saying, hey, we've got this experiment. We want to prove that man can be governed by reason and truth, not by some monarch, not by some dictator. Uh, and so we need free press to do that. And this publisher of Time and Life went to the president of the University of Chicago and said, put together a commission and let's try to figure out what is the proper function of the media in modern democracy. Now, again, this was during World War II. So we'll say the 1940s. And this president, this Robert Hutchins, put together a commission. Now, he chaired it. Hutchins chaired it. And he picked a bunch of people. He put Henry, um, or by the way, I should say, he ran his picks by this Henry Luce. He, so he'd say, hey, before I add anybody to this commission, you know, tell me what you think. So they had 12 prominent intellectuals on the commission. And they were all respected. Uh, and some very impressive people. I'm not going to go through all the names because half of them won't mean anything to us here in 2021. And the ones that should mean something to us, you know, we won't know anyway. So we'll skip that. But the interesting thing about this commission and these intellectuals is none of them were in the press. None of them were in the media. And that was on purpose. Now, the journalists and the media industry was kind of upset about this. You're putting this commission for the freedom of the press together. Uh, you're going to decide. You're going to advise our society. You're going to advise our government and so on what our role should be in a modern democracy. Shouldn't we be at the table? Shouldn't we have a voice? But on the other side, um, Hutchins said, no, I don't want these people at the table because they're biased. 
I want to have, I want to get top intellectuals, you know, guys running, you know, University of Chicago. So he's, he wants all these academics at the table and they're going to figure it out. You know, this is this kind of, uh, distributive democracy where you've got these experts running um, the society and the rest of us just enjoy ourselves. Well, what's interesting is they ran this thing for about four years. And in 1947, they came out with a conclusion. And there are kind of two key things about this conclusion that, that create this kind of watershed moment for journalism and for the press. And essentially, they come out and say that a, a, a a, f- a press, a free press in a modern democracy has a social responsibility. They have a responsibility that has to be put on the mass media because they have an important role in the development and stability of a, of a modern society. And so they have to have a social responsibility. And that means that, that they have to be thinking about what the public needs to know what the public should be hearing about. This responsibility means that they need to be considering the kinds of stories, the kinds of information, the kinds of features that they're putting out there, that they're reporting on, because they have such an impact on society and they've got a responsibility to make sure that our society is healthy. So they shouldn't just be looking to find out whatever happened in the day and report on it, but they should be thinking about what are the impacts of these stories? What are the, what are the, what are the, you know, influences these stories are going to have on people and society. And so they should be looking more at what kinds of stories and information are they passing along? That's the first thing. The second thing is that they should be making sense out of the stories that they're passing along. They should be making sense out of them. They shouldn't just put information out there for people to consume, to consider, to decide upon and think about and interpret for themselves. No, the media needs to make sense of the stories and the information that they're giving us. They need to be the ones that help us understand what we should think about these things, what we should feel about these things, what these things mean for us. That was in 1947. We decided as a society, and this was accepted, by the way, there was just some little thing that was put out there and nobody paid attention. This was a watershed moment in journalism, in the press, in the media. They were instructed that they should decide what stories are best for you and I so that we can have a healthy democracy. So there's certain things you and I should not be told about, certain things that you and I should not hear about, certain things that we don't need to worry ourselves about. And not only that, the things that we are allowed to know and the things that we should know The press, the media should make sense of it for us. They should tell us how we should think about it, what we should understand about it. Now, if you're listening to this and you go, I don't understand what the big deal is, you know, think for a minute, how much are you being manipulated? How much of of this is all about deciding what you're allowed to know and and then manipulating you to understand and think about it and see it through a certain lens and through a certain mindset? How is that how is that good? How is that not to be abused? 
Now I understand back in 1947, they were in love with, with positive, they were in love with positive, positive, <laughs> positive, how come I can't say that? Positive-ism. <laughs> I was missing a whole syllable. Positivism, something like that. The idea that through science and rationality and logic, we can just create this ever improving society. We're going to solve all problems through science. And so they, you know, these intellectuals, they were social scientists, they were theologians, but again, they were approaching theology from a scientific quote unquote, you know, the, the social sciences approach, economists and so on. And they were at the table in love with the idea of the social sciences and the scientific approach and the scientific method and this positivism, there you go. And they thought we can help mold a better society. And these are the experts saying, trust us, we're here to help. We don't want to hurt you. We're not trying to manipulate you in a bad way. We're not trying to, you know, enslave you. We know what's best. We're the experts. I mean, look at some of the movies back in the day, you know, the doctor and his white lab coat. Well, everyone, oh, Dr. So-and-so, what do you think? Well, you see, <laughs> and it, was, it was just like, you know, they were gods among men, these, these experts, these intellectuals and academics. And these were high profile intellectuals and academics. They weren't finding some guy in obscurity that nobody knew about working in a boiler room on some crackpot theory of his. No, these were, these were the Reinhold Niebuhrs of the world. I mean, these were the hitters. And so they came out and made this proclamation that the media should be much more uh, circumspect about what it lets you know. It should choose for you what it thinks is best that was gonna, that's going to lead to a better democracy. And it should help you understand what these things mean for you and the world around you. So you couple that with this idea of the pseudo event, this, this voracious appetite that the market has for more and more media. And you untether journalists from an obligation to be objective. Because this is essentially what we're doing. We're killing objectivity. What little objectivity human beings can bring to the table. What little professional restraints that they put upon themselves to not manipulate, to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help them God. You eliminate that and you say no. You decide, you're the media, you've got this responsibility. With great power comes great responsibility. You decide what's best for people. Keep in mind, you've got to help us make this modern democracy work. You decide what they should hear about. You decide what they should know, which also means you decide what they should not hear about and they should not know. And you help them understand what this means. You make sense out of it. You start telling stories and spinning narratives. Now you take those ideas, the pseudo event and this idea of the, that the Hutchins Commission came out with in 1947, and you look at the current state of the media today and it starts to make sense. It starts to make sense why when we started to hear that there were certain things about Hunter Biden that were really troubling things, and the media said, no, 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 there's nothing there that's ridiculous, it's all been debunked all been debunked and all Joe Biden has to say, oh, that's ridic ridiculous. I've talked to 50 experts. They all say it's nothing. And the media just got on board. And as soon as Joe Biden was elected president, it came out that yes, Hunter Biden is actually under investigation. This is not a matter of the media getting it wrong. Like, oh, we missed it. This is the fruit of the Hutchins commission 
and the pseudo event. Nothing to see here. Look at this fun, exciting thing over here. Let's get the pundits out over there. Ignore that stuff. You don't need to know about it. It's not a thing. Well, Mike, that's just a one-off. No, really? Let's talk about Cuomo. Why is it that Mario, sorry, not Mario, that's his father. Now, see, you're a real New Yorker if you remember Mario Cuomo. <laughs> Uh, what is it about Andrew Cuomo that, that all of a sudden now all this stuff's coming out? And to the, to the outsider, you go, oh, they're just dogpiling on Andrew Cuomo. I, I have talked to those in the know in Albany, Albany being New York State's capital. I've talked to people, lobbyists. I've talked to people on the inside, people that are connected to state legislatures, legislators and the system and the machinery. And there's one thing that's well known, and that is that, that Andrew Cuomo is a vindictive, mean SOB. You don't cross him or he wrecks you. He destroys you. He's a bully. He's a thug. This guy is not one of these guys that builds consensus. He's not a team guy. He's not, he's not well-loved. He rules with an iron fist and God help you if you cross him. People in his own party are afraid to cross him. Do you remember, you back up a little bit, early COVID, he beat the crap out of... De Blasio, the mayor of New York, a Democrat, like Cuomo, also a Democrat, he would make the guy look like a clown. Now, de Blasio is a bit of a clown. And Cuomo doesn't play for a team. He plays for Cuomo. And all the Democrats, this is like the best, you know, the, the, the best known secret. Cuomo's brutal. He's vindictive. So they all get in line because he's a bully, but they're there, but he's their bully. And God help you if you cross him, because he doesn't, he'll take you out at the knees. So the reason, the reason all of a sudden that this is all coming out isn't because no one knew about this stuff. This isn't coming out because this is all a revelation. It's, it's the worst kept secret in New York. And, and the, the news media knows this. They're not just discovering this about Cuomo. They've known this about Cuomo. But again, I go back to this Hutchins Commission and this idea that the news media understands its role in society is not to make sure that you are able to engage in the process of reason because you've been given the truth. No, that's gone. That's Thomas Jefferson. He's been canceled. Forget that guy. Our job as the media is to figure out and decide what you should know and what you shouldn't. And to tell you what you should think about the things that we think you should know. And that's why we've never heard anything about Andrew Cuomo, because that wasn't good for their democracy, their modern democracy. It wasn't good for their goals and their aims. They decided that we don't need to know about Cuomo. We don't need to know that he's, that he's regarded as a vindictive bully, that he's got questionable, questionable behaviors, question, and, and, that, and that his policies have actually been destructive. It's, it was there for anyone to see. I was talking about this well before this whole nursing home scandal. I knew about this like March last year, 2020, I've been talking about it. People look at me like, whoa, what are you talking about? People are in a fog. They're in a stupor. I was talking to someone the other day that does not watch conservative media who had never heard of Rachel Levin, Levine Levin, Joe Biden's pick for assistant whatever, and when I brought it up, this person said to me something like, oh, yeah, I don't know. There was somebody on TV that I, when I saw it, I thought, 
I don't think that's a lady. And they had no idea who this person was, what their background was. They didn't know what role this person was up for. Now, maybe they were just playing dumb with me. Maybe they were pretending not to know because they didn't want to talk about it. I don't know. But I suspect that this person is not availing themselves of any source that's going to tell them what's going on because CNN and the rest of these guys, they're not going to tell you about this Dick Levin. This calls himself Rachel now. You see, they decide what you should know and they decide what you should think about it. And so as we take these dynamics, the pseudo events, we're just being filled with all these quote unquote news stories that they're not stories. They're not real things. They're just fluffing us all the time. And you take this, this right that they think this obligation, this, this, you know, high, high command of making sure that they guide and protect our great democracy. And you start to understand where they get off. Why do they act the way they act? You start to understand it. It starts to make sense. You start listening to these people and you understand what, you know, the, 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 you think the power has gone to their head. You think that somehow, you know, they're elitist. They, they put themselves above us. They talk down to us. Well, of course they do because they think there were a bunch of idiots and that their job is to, is to tell the idiots what to do and what to think about it. That's what's going on. And so we go back to Thomas Jefferson's quote, you know, and he's, and he says, he says, no experiment can be more interesting. He's the word interesting. It's, it's, it's an experience it's, again, scientific method. You know, Thomas Jefferson is a product of the enlightenment. No experiment can be more interesting than that. We are now trying and which we trust will end in establishing the fact. We think the outcome is going to prove once and for all. I'm, that's my little comment in there that man may be governed by reason and truth. Our first object should therefore be to leave open to him all the avenues of truth or to truth. The most effectual hitherto found is the freedom of the press. I regret to say, uh, Mr. Jefferson, that our experiments failing and not because man can't be governed by reason and truth, but because man is not allowed to reason anymore and he has no access to the truth. In fact, we've convinced ourselves in our postmodern world that irrationality is the way, that reason is the enemy, that reason is racist, that it's hate, that it's ugly. And that truth is relative, that truth can't really be known. We can't know the truth. Your truth is your truth and my truth is mine. And so sadly, I'm not convinced we can be governed, not because we, uh, because the reason and truth are not powerful enough. They are, but because we have been denied these things and quite frankly, we have rejected them. We have the news media that we deserve, quite frankly. We have the news media that we're hungry for. We have the news media that we want. We want to be titillated. We want to be entertained. We want to be outraged and overjoyed. But we don't necessarily want to face the truth, not as a society. I'd like to believe that you, gentle listener, are the exception. And for that, I salute you. I want to encourage you today to think beyond 
what we're told through the media to go deeper, to find the truth and to use your powers, your God-given powers of reason and look at the world around you. Don't get sucked up into one side or the other. You got to take a side. I'm not saying stay out of the fray, but go into the fray well-armed with the truth, well-armed with a vision of what man truly is and can be and well-armed with a hunger to see a society where people can flourish. That's a society based on truth. I would encourage you, be kind of aware this week. Take a look, take a listen to what you're being fed and think about the Hutchin Commission. Think about the pseudo event and ask yourself, is this guy that I'm listening to, is he right? Is he onto something? And if so, what does that mean? What does that mean for me? How then should I live? Guys, I hope this is useful to you. I'd love to connect with you. Do me a favor. If you're still listening, that means you're one of the really cool people. (laughs) Go to my website. Go to MikeGaston.com. I want you to sign up for my newsletter. Not because I'm going to spam you. Not because I'm going to sell you something. Because I want to have a way to connect with you. I love putting this podcast out. I love seeing the download numbers. I love all that kind of thing. I want to be able to connect with you. I want to stay in touch with you. And so I'd love for you to sign up for the newsletter. Every once in a while, I don't hit this thing hard. Every once in a blue moon, I kick a newsletter out. I might update you on a video I did or maybe an article that I've written or just share a quick thought. But go to my website. Just scroll down the homepage. You'll see it. There's a sign up form right on the homepage. Sign up. Show me a little love. And let's get connected. Guys, I love you all. And I will catch you in the next episode.